0: I get the uh, pleasure of introducing our speaker this weekend. The speaker this weekend is Dr. Barry Danluck, and Barry was one of our staff here for many years as he led our centered singles ministry, and now he is a CSC-supported missionary. He now serves as the executive director of C-Global, a new ministry that is dedicated to equipping the global church with biblical perspectives on singleness and and marriage. Uh, C-Global has recently been invited to uh, lead and be part of evangelical leaders around the world, helping understand these topics, just like we have been doing here at Center Street Church. Barry remains very much a part of our spiritual family here at CSC, attending when he's in town, and so we're very blessed to have him. So would you please give a big warm Center Street welcome to our own CSC missionary, Dr. Barry Daniluk. Good to have you, brother. Oh, brother, it is great to be here. Oh, man, can I pray for you just before Absolutely. you bring the word? So, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for our brother Barry today and what you were doing in his life and ministry. Father, give us ears to hear today. You have, uh, you have prepared Barry to share this message in Matthew, so God, give us ears to hear. We thank you
1: for him and what he's gonna say. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, C Global may be a global ministry, but Calgary is my home. And you are my spiritual family. So it is just a uh, privilege for me to be able to um, share and bring the word to us uh, today. Well, uh, if you have been with us the last few weeks, you would know that we are in a series called Family Matters. And it's from the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapters 18 and 19. And a few weeks ago, uh, we had Pastor Kent kind of kick things off on children matter. And then Pastor Henry um, took us uh, through the discussion of marriages matter. Last weekend, we had Ashwin uh, take us on a very challenging um, sermon on relationships matter. And today, we are going to think and reflect a little bit about singleness matters. Now, I wanna tell you, a very good friend of mine, who is a single pastor himself, told me, you know, preaching on singleness is a really lose-lose proposition. He says, half the congregation is married, and they figure they don't need to hear what you have to say, and the other half is single. And frankly, they probably don't wanna hear what you have to say. So, I, and then of course, you know, we've got these perceptions of singles. And uh, so I have to be just a little self-deprecating here. And you know, there are those that are single for a season, and we know there are those that are single for a reason. And there's, and then there was the guy who was, uh, I don't know if you've heard, single guy who put on a pair of odor eaters. And you know what happened? he completely disappeared. (laughs) Okay, all joking aside, I am happy to say, some of us have to think about that one, but anyway, um, I'm happy to say that I think there's actually something here for all of us in God's Word. Whether you are single, married, or single again, singleness is actually a universal experience. We all begin our journey in singleness, And we will conclude our journey in singleness. And so before we go any further, I just want to give a little bit of a shout-out of encouragement to those of you that are married. Scripture tells us that he who finds a good wife, finds a wife, finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. So if you are married today, I would encourage you to just take time and cherish your spouse, celebrate your spouse, and treasure your spouse. For he or she is a wonderful gift of God to you. And it is vital that we take time to treasure those good gifts that God has given us. Because sometimes life doesn't end up going just according to plan. Actually, permit me to be just a little bit more specific. Sometimes life doesn't go according to our plan. Nothing thwarts God's plan. When things don't go according to our plan, we actually can be reminded and assured that whatever did happen to us is not a surprise to God, and that He is continuously at work in and through us despite whatever happens to us. One of my best friends growing up had parents that, from what I could tell, had a very Um, rich and fulfilling marriage. I'll call them Bob and Joe. They loved the Lord. They worked together well. They had three amazing children that also loved the Lord, praise God. The couple had started a cleaning franchise together, and over the years, God had blessed them tremendously such that at about the time that they were just becoming empty-nesters, they were even contemplating early retirement. But then, the unthinkable happened. Joe was driving back from a, a distribution of product in a neighboring state. It was very late. She was tired. She fell asleep at the wheel. And hit oncoming traffic and died on impact. Bob was at home at the time sleeping, but it was a night he will never forget. The red and blue lights of the police at the house. The knock at the door. Were you Mr. Bob Donaldson? Sergeant Baker from the police department. Mr. Donaldson, I have very sad news to tell you. And so it goes. Bob was suddenly single. And the questions came. God, what am I to do with this? I love her. I miss her. How can this be? Now in Bob's case, and this is a true story, I'm happy to say, his biological family and his inner faith and his spiritual family all came together to support him through that tremendously difficult time. It was not the plan Bob envisioned but God was there. You see, life doesn't always go according to plan. The struggle is real, but God is at work, and he's at work at all stages of life, and yes, we need to celebrate where he has placed us now. One of the most intriguing figures to me in the Old Testament was this fellow Enoch from the book of Genesis. God tells us that Enoch walked faithfully for 300 years, having many sons and daughters. And the Bible says that Enoch walked with God, and he was no more because God took him. Now, I don't know about you, but I just speculate it was maybe like Elijah, you know, the chariot of fire coming down from heaven, swooping him off his feet. But here is my question. When Enoch was taken to heaven, what do you think Mrs. Enoch was thinking? God, is there room for two on that chariot? because I'm ready to go, too. We don't know, do we? I mean, the Bible doesn't tell us. But we can know this, that if she faithfully walked with God as her husband did, and she found herself suddenly single, God had a plan for her. Maybe not a chariot to heaven, but she was not forgotten by God. Then there's the story of Ezekiel. His wife was described as the delight of his eyes. But when Jerusalem was about to be sieged by the Babylonians, the Lord said to Ezekiel, I am about to take the delight of your eyes away from you. But you are not to mourn or weep. You are to put on your turban, bind up your shoes, and act like Business as usual. And Ezekiel was told by God to do this as a sign to the people that in the same way God was going to take the temple, the delight of their eyes, and they too were not going to mourn or weep. Neither Ezekiel's marriage nor his widowhood were accidental circumstances, but they, in the combination was used to communicate the very powerful message God had given him to share. Then there was Jeremiah. God commands Jeremiah not to marry and have children at all. And this too was a a prophetic sign that the people would lose their children to disease, famine, and sores. Jeremiah's singleness was a sign of what God was about to do. And again, it wasn't an accidental circumstance, but it served to illustrate the very message God was communicating through him. Then there was Hosea. Now, Hosea was commanded by God to marry an unfaithful woman, probably a harlot, a prostitute. And, of course, she is unfaithful, and he divorces her. But then he reclaims her from the slave trade and draws her back as his wife. He does this to demonstrate that though the people themselves were unfaithful, God was the faithful husband. And his faithfulness to her, through a terrible divorce and betrayal, was a testimony of God's faithfulness to us. So we have one widowed, one never married, one divorcee, and of course there were prophets that were married, like Isaiah. So we really have all combinations. And in each case, the circumstances of their marital situation served powerfully to illustrate and demonstrate exactly what God had given them to share. That despite the unfaithfulness of people, God is faithful. Our text today is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 19, verses nine to 12. So if you are able, I would invite you to stand with me for the reading of our text. I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if such is the case with a man and his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given." For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. There are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive this. Join me now as we pray. Lord, we thank you for your word to us today. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. God, we ask that you would open now our hearts and minds to whatever you have to say to us today through your word. May we be faithful not only as hearers, but also to respond to what it is you lay on our hearts. God, we pray that each individual with us listening today would know the height, the breadth, the width and depth of your love that you care for and you love each and every one of us, and you invite us into a relationship with you that will never fail, end, or disappoint, amen. You may be seated. One of the pastors that mentored me when I was a ministry intern many years ago had a very simple approach to Bible study he said to me, read the text and ask this one question. What is surprising in this text? Because chances are, when you focus in and hone in on what is real, what surprises you in this text, you will very likely unlock the key point and potentially the key application of the text. Now, I suppose that few of us have heard sermons on these four verses that we put up, and probably few of us have even done Bible studies. But I do think that by reflecting together on what is really surprising in this text, we can begin to unlock what the message is that God has for us today. The first verse here gives us some context. Jesus is responding to the question on divorce, that was asked and in so doing he gives us a profoundly high view of marriage. What God has joined together human beings are not to separate. In fact the only exception that Jesus gives us here is the case of marital unfaithfulness. And so this is showing us that Jesus also has a really high view of sexual relations. Sexual intimacy was not designed by God for casual recreation, but it was designed by God to be that physical, relational glue that bonds the husband and wife together in that marital relationship. God is making it clear that marriage and intimate relations go together, breaking one is tantamount to breaking the other and that being faithful to one is being faithful to the other. Now we've got to be honest, the reaction to the crowd here was likely semi-shock. Because so many marriages of that day did not live up to anything close to that ideal. And it even appears that the disciples don't quite know what to say. Surely, not every marriage could possibly rise to Jesus's expectations and surely Jesus knows that they won't so the disciples respond by setting Jesus up with what we might say is an extreme alternative Jesus if this is the case with a man and his wife maybe then it's better not to marry at all now Interestingly enough, in the Greco-Roman world, there was actually just such a debated question. Some groups, like the Stoics, affirmed that everyone should marry for the good of society. Others, like the Epicureans and the Cynics, they decried marriage as stressful and unnecessary. But for the Jews, there was no question. The law was clear. Marriage was the mandate of Genesis. They were not only commands of God, but they were the blessings of the Sinai covenant. To the extent the Jew honored God in keeping the law, God would bless the fruit of their womb. Marriage and children were the principal blessing of God's covenant, and no Jew would say no to God's blessing. So here is the first surprise. Jesus affirms singleness as good. Now, I think we sometimes react to this in similar ways to how they reacted. Jesus, surely getting people married, even if it's not the best of situations, is better than they not be married at all. But Jesus isn't saying that. Rather, we see here not only a high view of marriage and sexual relations, but an equally high view of celibate singleness. And I am grieved today when I see someone marry the wrong person simply to be married. Now, let me clarify what I mean by marrying the wrong person. It's not marrying someone who loves the Lord, who after five to ten years, we decide, no longer meets our needs. Marrying the wrong person, though, is marrying somebody that we meet and we know does not know and does not love the Lord. Someone who is more of an occasion for sin than sanctification in your life is not Someone you should marry. Scripture tells us that we should marry in the Lord and not be unequally yoked. And living together is not the way to assess how much a potential spouse loves the Lord. On the other hand, fully committing yourself to a quite imperfect person who won't ever possibly meet your needs but earnestly loves and pursues the Lord can be a profound blessing of God. Now, when Jesus affirms singleness in his response, he is not diminishing marriage in any way. Rather, he is putting marriage in the context of a much bigger vision of God's ultimate plan. And that plan is embodied in the phrase that Jesus uses more than 30 times in the Gospel of Matthew, the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is raising our sights to something bigger and more profound than all the greatest things we experience in this life. And that is the kingdom of heaven. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus teaches of that kingdom. So he responds here, not everyone can receive this teaching, but only those to whom it is given. Jesus affirms singleness is good for some. Now we're gonna talk about that qualification in a minute. But with the four in verse 12, he proceeds to clarify for us three different categories of single persons. And in so doing, Here comes the second surprise. Jesus speaks of singles as eunuchs. Now to fully appreciate the surprise here, we have to get just a little background on eunuchs. Eunuchs go back to the days of ancient dynasties where kings of empires passed on their authority to to, to subsequent generations. So the king passes on his authority to his son and so on. Those who served closest to the king had the greatest access to potentially kill that king and start a dynasty of their own. So if you were close to the king as a trusted advisor, or guarding his harem, or um, being his cupbearer, think Nehemiah, then it was common practice for kings of that day to neuter those individuals so that they could be serving the king with complete loyalty. The king needed the eunuch, but the eunuch also needed the king. Because if you were neutered, you didn't have children to take care of you in old age, and to manage your estate, and to be there for you. So, as a eunuch, you depended on the king. And when the king died, the king's son. And so we have this interesting relationship. The eunuch was completely loyal to his king. And the king was sufficient to provide for the welfare of the eunuch. Now, for the Jews, to be very honest, the eunuch was a reprehensible figure. First, eunuchs were considered physically deformed, and they were barred from access to the temple. Eunuchs were considered completely unblessed in the Sinai covenant because they could not marry and have children. And even worse, eunuchs were associated with the stigma of foreign oppressors who had taken some of the Jewish young men and made them serve in foreign courts. So when Jesus refers to those not married as eunuchs, it would have been even more shocking to his listeners than his response on marriage. So why does Jesus use this figure? Well, one reason is that both the barren woman and the eunuch are portrayed as redemptive figures in the Old Testament. Though the eunuch was formerly cut off from the temple, God says through Isaiah, I will give eunuchs in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. We see this prophecy, by the way, dramatically fulfilled in the story of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8, who after worshiping in Jerusalem, believes in Jesus and is baptized by Philip. But I think there is another reason that Jesus is using the eunuch here. And that is part, perhaps best illustrated by another prophet in the Old Testament, Daniel. Now, the Old Testament never says explicitly that Daniel was a eunuch. But it gives us a lot of circumstantial evidence. We find, for example, that in the opening verses of the book of Daniel, Daniel and his friends are placed directly under the supervision of the chief of eunuchs. The text is telling us in so many words that Daniel was serving King Nebuchadnezzar as a eunuch in his court. But now let's just think a little bit about the story of Daniel and his service. You see, whether it concerned eating of food worshiping statues or praying to the king, the tension of Daniel and his friends was always around this. Which king, Daniel, are you really serving? Is it the human king or is it your lord and king? And in every case, Daniel and his friends proved faithful because they knew that the Lord King was able to take care of them better than any human king, even to the point of death itself. Whether by life or by death, Daniel and his friends knew that God alone was completely sufficient to meet and care for his needs. So I think Jesus uses the figure of the eunuch here to raise our sights, that the king we serve is completely sufficient to meet our needs, regardless of whether we ever marry or whether we never marry. And if we should marry and find ourselves suddenly single, God has not abandoned us, but he is powerfully present and able to meet our needs as well now the rabbis of Jesus's day recognized two categories of eunuchs the first were those that were born such that it was indeterminate whether they were male or female the second were those who were forcibly made eunuchs like Daniel perhaps to serve in foreign courts but Jesus gives us three categories of eunuchs and he seeks to raise our sights to the kingdom of heaven. For his point here is that there are actually different kinds of single people. Now, we've already identified a couple different kinds, right? Widowed, never married, divorcees. But Jesus' categories remind us that there are both singles by choice and singles not by choice. We read, For there were are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. So the first category Jesus gives is eunuchs from birth. And I think what Jesus is just acknowledging here is that there are some individuals who may very much desire to be married, but because of how they were born, because of emotional, psychological, physical, or intellectual wiring. Marriage is just not a viable or good option for them. Now, let me be clear, they they are no less human, they are no less special before God, they are no less valuable and precious in His sight and in the community of His spiritual family and they may live lives that flourish in all sorts of different ways. But marriage is just not the right option for them. The second category Jesus gives are those who have been made eunuchs by men. Now, thankfully today, we do not live in a world where anyone is forcibly made um, a eunuch to serve a foreign monarch. But we do live in a world where men and women who may very much want to get married, but because of the ordering of the circumstances of their lives, that spouse is not found. Now, there may be some ladies here that just, you know, it's not because of men, it's because of the lack of men. Well, the reality is, life is complicated relationships are complicated and there are many men and women today that really would like to be married but that godly spouse just does not appear and they need to know that whatever their circumstances as they seek to be faithful to the Lord he will be faithful to them and they too can have lives that flourish in all sorts of different ways, whether or not that marriage ever occurs. The third surprise in this passage now appears. Jesus challenges his hearers to remain single for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And there are two parts to this surprise. First, Jesus introduces here a third category of eunuch, that was completely unprecedented to his hearers. Jesus says that there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for sake of the kingdom of heaven. Now, most will agree that Jesus is not speaking of anything physical here. Rather, he is raising our sights, that there are some, both men and women, who may forego marriage, sexual relations, and children for sake of dedicated pursuit of the kingdom of heaven. That just as Daniel was able to look beyond the circumstances of his court service to the Babylonians and see the much bigger picture of what God was doing, what he was up to, his ultimate kingdom, and how he was bringing all of human history together. So too, Jesus describes this third category of eunuch who voluntarily surrenders his or her opportunity for marriage and children for sake of seeing that bigger picture and being able to serve The kingdom of heaven, dedicated and wholeheartedly. Lastly, we need to look at the two conditions Jesus gives us for his response. He says, not everyone can receive this teaching, but only those to whom it is given. Let the one who is able to receive it, receive it. Now, Jesus is saying that singleness is good, but it's not for everyone. So, of course, our question is, well... Who is it for? Who is it for to choose this kind of life? Now, the key is is that this word receive is not the standard word for receive here in, in the Greek language. But this is a word that relates to open space. And it has the idea of containing something really big and magnificent. So the idea here is grasping, A really big idea. And what is that big idea? That as great as marriage and family and children are, the kingdom of heaven that Jesus is announcing is something even bigger and greater. And Jesus is suggesting that there are some who will grasp that reality and will willingly give up any claim to marriage, children and family for the opportunity to prefer pursue the kingdom of God wholeheartedly wherever God takes them this invitation and challenge that Jesus gives us here I should say is not primarily directed at people who just happen to have a diminished desire for getting married no this is a challenge Jesus is giving to those who have a heightened desire and passion for his kingdom such that they would be willing to give up even the best of what life has to offer for the sake of being on mission for Jesus. To the one who is able to receive this teaching, let him or her receive it. John Wesley was one of the greatest missionary evangelists who ever lived. And thanks to Wesley's relentless circuit riding on horseback all over England, small groups and churches were established that became what is known as the Methodist movement. But Wesley's traveling ministry was a near disaster for his marriage. You see, while Wesley was on horseback on the road nearly all the time, His wife preferred living only at home in London. Wesley loved his wife dearly, but his ministry calling did not foster a healthy marriage. So it's very interesting that Wesley's protege in the Americas by the name of Francis Asbury learned an interesting lesson Now, Asbury followed in Wesley's footsteps. He rode on horseback over 6,000 miles a year and grew the Methodist Church in America from 1,200 members to over 200,000 people. He ordained 700 pastors. But Asbury learned from Wesley, and he remained single, knowing that it wasn't fair to any woman, as he says, to be married to a man who is absent 51 weeks a year. Asbury writes this in his journal, As for me, I know what I am called to. It is to give up all and to have my hearts and hands in the work. Let others condemn me as being without natural affection, or say what they please. I love my parents and my friends, but I love my God better and his service. And though I have given up all, I do not repent, for I have found all. Asbury modeled what Jesus is inviting us to hear. That with passionate desire for serving the kingdom of God, he voluntarily surrendered the joys of marriage and children for sake of what God had called him to do. So where does this leave us? Three things that are surprising. First, that Jesus affirms that singleness is something good. And it is good because unlike the Old Testament, where being blessed depended on being married and having children, in the new covenant, we have received every spiritual blessing in Christ. We have been reconciled with the Father. We have been adopted into a new spiritual family. And we have received an eternal inheritance that can never be taken away from us and this also means that in your personal life journey whatever happens whether you are single your whole life or married or married and single again God is at work as you remain faithful to him and as you do he will work all things together for your good They are not accidental circumstances, but they're foundational to shape the unique message and mission that God has given for you. Second, Jesus uses this figure of the eunuch to expand our sights and to remind us that he is our king, all of us, whether we're single or married, and he alone merits our highest allegiance. That no matter what happens to us in this world of relationships, family, business, or material pursuits, He alone is our protector and provider, and He alone is fully sufficient to meet all our needs. To put anything, even good things like a a spouse and children, in the place of our highest allegiance is idolatry. We are to seek first the king and his kingdom and his righteousness, and he will add all things unto us. Third, Jesus challenges each of us to consider grasping this big idea, that in the announcement of the coming of the kingdom, something much bigger than all the good things life has to offer is now being offered to us. And this means that even the relationship of human marriage in all its sweetness and wonder is only a taste of something much bigger that God has in store for us. And that even if you never partake in that taste, You have not missed out on partaking in the wedding feast with the Lamb of God for all eternity, which is the real deal marriage that we are all waiting for. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. So where are you today in your own journey? Whether you are married, never married, single again, or suddenly single, how is God using your story to shape the message that he has given you to share, to affirm his continued faithfulness, and to proclaim the hope of his kingdom And if life right now is not going according to plan, are you standing in faith today that God is still at work in and through you and that He as your King is truly sufficient to meet all your needs? Perhaps it is just being willing to let go of the sweetness of a beautiful marriage knowing that in all its sweetness it is only a taste of even greater things to come or perhaps it's in recognizing that god is calling you to a really big idea to consider sacrificing the comforts and joys of marriage children of career for a fuller and even greater pursuit of jesus And his kingdom well whatever it is I invite us now just to bow our heads for a moment of silence and let us ask those two questions we always ask Lord what are you saying to me in all of this and what do you want me to do about it Let's take that moment now.